Historical tours of those old plantation houses is a big tourist industry in the South, but usually the stories behind the houses are even more interesting than the homes themselves. On this episode of The Scenic Route, Andrew McRae talks to Andrew Sheriff about the story behind one of those homes, the Ripa Villa Plantation in Tennessee. Now, the property here was settled in 1811 by Nathaniel Francis Chairs the fourth, uh, excuse me, the third, uh, Chairs spelled C-H-E-A-I-R-S. Uh, they were French uh, Huguenots, uh, Protestants, who had settled in Maryland, moved to uh, North Carolina, and then in 1811, Nathaniel Chairs the third settled here in Spring Hill, uh, Tennessee, and had uh, ten children. And his youngest child, his tenth child, was Nathaniel Chairs the fourth, who built the plantation home uh, which you see today. Now, go back and give me a little idea. There was some inheritance, and he had to marry a girl by a certain name and some things like this. Is that right? Yes. Um, all Nathaniel Chairs, for some reason, uh, married Sarah's first name, Sarah, and we're not entirely sure how that all uh, that tradition got started, um, but. Nathaniel Chairs the fourth got engaged to uh, Susan McKissick, and his father apparently was upset that Susan wasn't a Sarah, and offered his son money, uh, actually five thousand in gold, uh, not to marry her just because of her name. Well, her family, uh, the McKissicks, uh, were very wealthy, and one of the things they were involved with was the uh, masonry. Uh, business and actually her father uh, more or less offered to supply the brick and labor to build a large home and uh, so the marriage takes place but apparently on their wedding day uh, Nathaniel's father went ahead and gave him that money so there'd be no hard feelings between the two families so if that story is all true because Nathaniel told that in his later years, you know, he gets Susan, uh, that money, a lot of the house uh, built for free, so things worked out uh, pretty well for him. Good thing, I guess, he didn't marry uh, a Sarah. <laughs> but all of Nathaniel's, at least, were marrying Sarah's then, correct, supposedly. Correct, correct. <laughs> so he, he broke that tradition. It didn't apply and, to the other kids in the family. Right, the older right. Nine or whatever. And, uh, and like I said, we don't really know where that got all you know started, but uh, it is kind of an interesting story. Well, well, where did the families make their money? Because they were quite wealthy. Uh, and mostly from farming. Um, you know, even on the census records, uh, 1850, 1860, uh, Nathaniel put under occupation farmer. Uh, now, a lot of these wealthy plantation owners, uh, sometimes you see they put gentlemen. Uh, as an occupation, and a gentleman uh, farmer was kind of the higher class end, uh, but this was an 1,100-acre uh, uh, plantation. Uh, but uh, this was his main investment, but he also uh, owned a mill uh, in Giles County, which is south of here. But uh, 1,100 acres was a, a good-sized farm in this area, and, and Middle Tennessee uh, had very good farmland, so uh, they uh, – Grew cotton, corn, tobacco, wheat, a lot of livestock, uh, hogs, cattle, sheep were raised here. So a very diverse farm. Uh, but now from uh, building this uh, house to running this plantation, of course, most of the labor here was done by slave labor. And we know in 1860, Nathaniel owned 75 slaves to maintain uh, this farm. And we do have one uh, slave cabin uh, remaining today. It dates from the 1830s or 40s, uh, but there would have been 12 to 15 of them uh, on the back of the property, kind of lined up in rows. Uh, but we do have one remaining today. 
All right. Now, this home, then, is Nathaniel Cheers the Fourth's home, is that right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Where was the the generation before living in the uh, same plantation uh they were uh, in a more or less two-story wooden farmhouse that was located uh on the back of the property here uh that house burned down in the 1870s though okay. uh, and we believe that we we have no photograph uh or uh, any kind of drawing of that structure uh but uh, we do know more or less where it was located and that we believe after the house that stands today was built, that home was turned into the overseer's house. Uh, but it did burn in the 1870s. All right. So this house was quite a step up from what? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, it started construction in 1851, was completed in 1855. Uh, but far as a antebellum uh, home um, in this area, uh, they can get much bigger than this. It, it's quite, quite a house. You, you definitely had to have money. Uh, to afford something like this. Yeah, since this is radio, I don't know how you want to do this, but maybe you kind of want to describe how big it is and some of the things that would have made it even stand out for a home of that size. Uh, yes, this house is uh, over 10,000 square feet. Uh, it is a solid uh, brick structure as far as the interior and outer walls are three bricks thick. Um, it is mostly the floor plan is the same from the ground up. Uh, it has a full cellar with dirt floors, uh, but the house is broken into four rooms and two halls, and it's kind of the same from the bottom up. So each floor has four large rooms and two large uh, hallways. Uh, but uh, a solid brick structure, uh, of course, they don't really build things like that anymore. But definitely, uh, yeah, to have a home like that. Actually, we have a record that it took over 330,000 bricks to build this house. Uh, so it is quite quite a home. Uh, Nathaniel and Susan, how big a family did they have here? Uh, they had four children, uh, two girls, two boys, uh, Jenny Thomas, William, and yes, the youngest, uh, her name was Sarah. So they did have a Sarah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, four children. And uh, uh, now you have to think a house this size, uh, if you see it, you know, you have to imagine uh, they would have had a lot of uh, cousins, uh, family, uh, siblings. Uh, and then once their children had their own children, uh, you know, those children were all born in the house, lived here. So it's a large home, but I imagine a lot of people would have been living in it. Yeah. I, I kind of doubt you got one of those large rooms to yourself. <laughs> During the Civil War, what happens here? Uh, uh, quite a bit. Uh, Nathaniel was a major in the Confederate Army. Um, he spent a good portion of the war, though, in prison. Uh, he was captured uh, twice during the war at the Battle of Fort Donelson in uh, February of 1862. Um, he spent six months in prison in the Boston uh, Harbor at a place called Fort Warren. Uh, was released through a prisoner uh, exchange and returned home, uh, actually, and would serve with uh, Confederate uh, General Nathan uh, Bedford Forrest. He would serve on his staff, and Nathaniel's oldest son, uh, Thomas, would also serve with General Forrest uh, in his escort company. Uh, but Nathaniel got captured a second time uh, outside of uh, Memphis, and was almost executed uh, because he was gathering uh, cattle uh, for food for the army. And it was just him, another soldier, and a civilian. And the federal uh, soldiers that caught him thought uh, they were spies, 
were going to execute him. Uh, but luckily for Nathaniel, he was a Freemason, and so was the Union officer in charge of the execution. So he was sent to a prison instead in Columbus, uh, Ohio, at a place called Camp Chase, where he would stay uh, for more or less the remainder of the war. Uh, but the house here was used as a hospital and uh, headquarters for both armies, kind of on and off throughout the war. Uh, the house itself, uh, it sits on a, a main road. And this area uh, during the uh, Civil War, you have both armies kind of moving back and forth. So really, whichever army was marching up this road uh, tended to occupy the site. So the family was kind of uh, involved quite a bit during those years. When the Civil War is over then, does he come back here? Does life, in a sense, go on? Or... Uh, it, it eventually will. Um, he had to get a pardon from President uh, Andrew Johnson. Uh, he was wanted for treason. Uh, for serving as a Confederate uh, officer, um, but uh, within a few years, they were able to recover and actually became quite um, wealthy again, uh, but they did sell uh, the house in 1920 uh, is when they sold it. Uh, they actually just moved to Nashville, not far away, um, but the man who bought it in the 20s, uh, John Whitfield, he, uh, he more or less modernized um, the home. He electrified it put in closets, bathrooms, that kind of thing. Um, but the chairs were able, though, uh, to recover after the war and hold on to it for a few more decades. Though. Yeah, yeah. What happened to the house, the plantation home then to get it to where it is today for visitors? Well, uh, it was still a private uh, residence till uh, the mid-1980s, and uh, General Motors uh, purchased uh, the house um, across the street from here is a uh, large assembly uh, plant, um, actually what used to be the Saturn plant, and they uh, the house was in very bad shape. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of these old large homes get very run down. They're very expensive uh, to maintain, uh, but they ended up uh, leasing it to the uh, county here, Murray County, and really between the county and GM, uh, they got the funds to do the historical uh, renovations. But as of today, uh, we're private. Uh, it's Ripavilla Incorporated. Uh, we're a nonprofit uh, organization that maintains the house and 100 acres with it that was donated to us uh, by GM. Uh, so they've been very good neighbors here uh, because uh, they have given the house, the land, uh, money. So uh, we're very thankful that they uh, did that to uh, preserve, this, uh, preserve this house. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Scenic Route. Remember, you can catch all of our daily broadcasts, find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, and much more at AmericanCountryside.com. <laughs>